Good morning, church. (laughs) Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 12, verses 49 through 59. If you are here today and you don't have a Bible, we invite you to take one from the cart in the back and to keep it as your own. Luke, chapter 12, verses 59 through 49 through 59. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, rather, division. For with now on in, for na- from now on in one house, there shall be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided fathers against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you now not now know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? And as you come with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officers, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get and out until you have paid the very last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, precious. And morning, church. It's good to be back with you. Thank you for the time away. We had a a wonderful weekend camping. Uh, It's a little soggy, um, but it was a good time anyway. And I heard Eric's message last week. Praise God for that. Let's be ready. Let's keep uh, our eyes on Jesus moving forward. Uh, One of the ways we get to do that together is by preparing for the ministry he's given us as a church. We've got some important things coming up in the May congregational meeting. If you haven't already picked up one of these packets, please do so. Um, And a little bit different than our normal pattern, we have the second town hall meeting. We had the first one on Wednesday, second one will be this evening at five o'clock. Gives us a chance to answer some more questions, get more feedback about some of the important things we're gonna talk about in that meeting. And um, we're not above bribing you, so there'll be pizza afterward. If you come to the meeting, hang out, have a free meal, six o'clock, pizza. And uh, last meeting was great, so I hope you'll make some time for it as well. All right, we're gonna dive into Luke's gospel. Before we do, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for these words that you have preserved for us. Uh, We recognize we have no right to edit or ignore anything that you have said. Your word stands forever. Even the difficult words that our Lord Jesus has for us this morning. Uh, We pray that our hearts would be ready for the moment of our Messiah that we would be prepared for his heavenly fire come to earth, that we'd be ready for his moment to come. 
Use your word this morning, Father, to such prepare our souls. We pray in Jesus' mighty name, amen. So as I've already mentioned, we went camping last weekend, and we were out with a number of homeschooling families, and um, my wife being the wonderful hostess that she is, Precious invited 30 or so people to come over to our campfire to roast their hot dogs, which of course meant that I had the great husbandly duty of starting the campfire. Uh, now I've seen a lot of Smokey the Bear ads in my day. I know how dangerous campfires can be. And as far as I could tell, I had everything needed in order to get a raging fire going. Uh, I got my wood in place, got the smaller pieces, I got my nice high impact lighter down there. Only ignition was more elusive than I thought it was going to be. Um, the nearby campsites heard grunting and uh, maybe some muffled comments they'd rather not have heard, and yet no sparks were sticking. Just a little bit of smoldering. Well, eventually a good friend came over, and thankfully, with the help of a blowtorch, there was a fire for the hot dogs that evening. Um, our passage this morning finds Jesus at a very significant moment. Uh, he's about to light a fire. Uh, this is the purpose he came into this world as Messiah, uh, to bring fire from heaven to this earth, a fire that's going to change everything. We're going to see sparks flying, separations forming. Uh, we're going to see uh, scores being settled, and in all of it, people are going to be called to be ready for the moment of Messiah Jesus, which leaves us with the important question. Are we ready for the moment ourselves? We'll find out through four sections this morning following Luke 12, 49 through 59. First and 49 through 50, sparks flying. We get a rare set of verses that show us a window into the heart of Jesus, what his emotional life was like. Uh, he uses two distinct images, both with exclamation points at the end, so that we can see the sparks of his soul to save sinners and purify the world and to glorify his father. Uh, the first image he uses is that of starting a fire. In verse 49, I, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were, all, it were already kindled. In the Bible, fire, more, more often than not, is referring to judgment. Uh, some people have questions what Jesus means by this fire he is starting. I, I think the best way to understand it is the test that comes when God's presence encounters his creatures. Uh, the God of Israel is described as a consuming fire. And when you encounter him, his heavenly fire reveals the truth about you. Uh, for those that are pure, it is a purifying experience. Their, their sins are burned away. And for those who are his enemies, it is their undoing. His holiness lashes out in wrath and consumes them. Uh, Jesus, even at this point in his journey toward Jerusalem, uh, knows that a moment is coming when heavenly fire will come upon the earth. Uh, that moment comes in the book of Acts, chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes upon his disciples. It has a purifying effect, soul by soul, as like tongues of fire resting upon their, their heads, 
the individual disciples come to have the work of God from the inside change them to be worthy of the Savior that saved them. All who have become Christians know this purifying effect of the Spirit within us. But there's a second thing that Jesus is looking forward to, and that is the work of judgment. Uh, from that moment that the gospel started being preached freely throughout all the nations of the earth, there has consistently been judgment brought by the Holy Spirit. He convicts the world of righteousness and sin and judgment. And every time someone hears the name of Jesus preached, if they don't respond in repentance and faith, then condemnation already rests upon them. Uh, Jesus knows that. He knows this judgment is coming, um, but he also knows that there's an even greater judgment coming on the final day when that heavenly fire covers the entire earth, when sin and sinners are burned up all for once for all, and all that's left is a pure world with pure people to worship a pure God. Uh, Jesus looks forward to this, and he says, I can't wait to spark that flame. What is it that gets Jesus up in the morning? What is it that motivates him? Why does he have a fire in his belly? Well, it's because he longs to see the world and God's people purified. Now, how's that gonna happen though? Well, that's what gets the second image in verse 50. Uh, the image shifts from fire to water with baptism. He says... I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it's accomplished. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? A baptism to be baptized with. If you've been reading uh, your Bible, you'll know Jesus has already been baptized by John the Baptist. Uh, that moment where he went under the water and came back up, the Holy Spirit descended upon him, and the voice from heaven declared, this is my son. Now, so clearly, Jesus is talking about something in the future, so he can't be talking about his water baptism. So what's he talking about? Well, baptism has a symbolic meaning for suffering and judgment, and yes, even death. When we go under the water in baptism, we are joining Jesus in his death. When we come up, we are joining him in his resurrection. Now, Jesus had a true baptism to undertake in the future, uh, the baptism of the wrath of God on the cross. See, remember, we are in this section in Luke's gospel where everything Jesus does is moving him inevitably toward Jerusalem, to the place where his moment as the Messiah will be fulfilled. The reason he's here, the way he will accomplish his mission is by dying, by taking on himself that heavenly fire by experiencing the full wrath of God to save sinners, by his perfect life given as a substitute. Uh, Jesus looks forward to that, and it pains him that he has to wait for that moment to come. You can almost hear the faint echoes of his agony in Gethsemane, even at this point, as he travels the road toward Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus knows why he's here, and he knows what moment is coming. He's not shrinking back even a little. Uh, what's the soul of Jesus like? 
what does he long for most? Uh, to save sinners, to purify a people, to glorify his Father, to cleanse this world and bring us into unending fellowship with God. He knows the only way that can happen is by his death. And so he can endure that for the joy set before him. Now, if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, would you ask yourself this question? Does Jesus' soul spark any less brightly for you today than it did 2,000 years ago? Uh, Do you think he has any less zeal to see you cleansed from your sins, uh, to see you purified and held closely by his heavenly father? Does he have any less love for you, any less grace for your time of need? You know, we have this rhythm as a church. Uh, Once a month, we take the Lord's table together. And there's a reason for that. Uh, We need to be reminded when our souls feel damp and dark and cold, that Jesus' heart runs hot for sinners and sufferers of all types. So when you feel yourself slipping spiritually or feel like you're in the dark, uh, don't keep away from him. Draw close. Uh, Knowing that he longs to spark a fire in you afresh. Uh, First thing we see in this passage are sparks flying in the soul of our Savior. Uh, The second thing we see, though, is once that fire is kindled, something's going to happen, and that's separations forming. Separations forming in verses 51 through 53. I was listening to a radio show uh, this last week. Someone was describing their problem with religion, confidently declared that religions basically are all the same, And if people would just understand that Jesus and Mohammed and all the other spiritual teachers were really about bringing peace between peoples, then the world would be a whole lot better. Now, of course, it's true that Jesus is the most powerful agent of peace this world has ever seen or ever will see. Angels declared it when he was was born, right? Uh, Peace on earth. And indeed, he's the only one that can bring peace between us and God. And yet Jesus sometimes says some pretty inconvenient things for our modern sensibilities. Uh, Look what he says there in verse 52. I'm sorry, verse 51. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. According to Jesus, he is the divine divider. Uh, That heavenly fire that he's starting is going to burn a a line between people, even down to the most basic building blocks of of humanity, to the lines of the family. Uh, That's what he says in verses 52 through 53. Even our dearest relationships rent asunder by this moment of the Messiah. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. What's Jesus doing here? Is he anti-family? No, he is just pro-full devotion to God. Uh, Jesus understands that he is forcing decisions Decisions that will inevitably bring divisions between all manner of people. 
Even the closest relationships we have are not safe from the dividing line of heavenly fire that Jesus is starting. Uh, This has been the case down through human history. As people declare Jesus is Lord, repent of their sins, trust him in faith, and devote their lives to him, there can be no other master in their lives. Uh, Even the bonds of patriotism or the bonds of blood, uh, Jesus supersedes even those important relationships. And indeed, even when Christians live as peaceably as they can with their family members, oftentimes their faith in Jesus becomes an inevitable stumbling block and separation happens even when we aren't trying to cause it. Um, I heard the testimony of our dear brother Ryu, our global resident from Thailand. Uh, as a young adult, he heard the good news of the gospel, and put his faith in Jesus. Uh, only Ryu was coming from a family that was pra- uh, practicing Buddhists. And as a result, as happened to many Thai believers who are saved out of a Buddhist background, he received much rejection from his family. Very painful set of circumstances. His father uh, refused to speak to him, feeling as if he had betrayed him. And that rift in their relationship went on for nine years. Now, by God's grace, that story ended in a redemptive way. Uh, Ryu saw his parents converted and was able to reconcile that relationship. And yet we're not guaranteed that that will happen. Many Christians down through the ages have lost Brothers and sisters and parents and in-laws, all because of their allegiance to Jesus. Now, brothers and sisters, when this happens, Jesus is telling this ahead of time so we would not be shocked and discouraged. This is normal following Jesus. It's not because we go out of our way to be offensive or mean or to put up walls between us and people. It's just because as Jesus becomes our Lord, Things change. We're not the people we used to be. And try as we might, there is something we can never connect with unbelievers on. And that is matters that are spiritual. So inevitably, there is a type of division between us. Uh, Thankfully, most of the time in the place and time we live, that, that doesn't mean people disowning you or totally cutting you off from relationship. But my guess is if you have family members, some of whom are not Christians, You know that underlying sense of tension anytime you bring up something about your Christian faith. Maybe there's some subjects you don't talk about at Thanksgiving. Uh, Maybe there are some people that wouldn't be all that receptive if you invited them to come with you to church. According to Jesus, that is a separation. It's a part of his moment as Messiah. Uh, The world will never be the same once that heavenly fire started burning. And it burned a line between peoples. Everyone's got to decide. Which side are you on? Now, kids, you're here this morning. I'm so thankful you're here, by the way. Um, But I wonder if you understand this. There are certain things that your parents can do for you. They can sign you up for school. They can give you clothes to wear. Uh, But there are certain things that you have to do for yourself. Uh, Your parents can provide you food on your plate, but you have to actually chew it up and eat it, right? At least once you get to a certain age. Uh, When it comes to being a Christian, kids, please hear this. 
Your parents can't do that for you. Every one of us has to make a choice to follow Jesus ourselves. And at some point or the other, you are going to have to decide whether you're going to be with Jesus or whether you're going to live life for yourself. Now, I hope your parents will love you no matter what you choose. But know that they are praying and doing everything they can so you can know Jesus the way they do. So would you hear this call this morning from Jesus? Be part of his family. And in due time, we pray that you would come to saving faith in him. Now, if you have questions about that, ask your parents after church. They would love to explain to you how it is you can follow Jesus yourself. Now, church, this is one of the reasons why we should be so thrilled for the number of children the Lord has brought to our church and even that we have the opportunity for them to be here in our sanctuary to hear the word of God preached and hear songs about Jesus sung and, yes, hear the gospel that can save. We do that in faith, thinking that this is the best place they could be so that one day there would be nothing between us that they would join us on the side of Jesus as a part of our spiritual family. Uh, Jesus warns his disciples, separations are going to be forming. And that means one other thing is going to happen. Uh, Another thing is gonna happen. Signs are going to be flashing. That's what we see in verses 54 through 56. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, uh, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Almost six years since our family became Hoosiers, I've noticed one bit of Hoosier pride. Uh, People love to wear as a badge of honor that our weather is constantly changing. You don't like it, just wait a minute, it'll be different, right? Uh, Certainly this morning's a great illustration of that. Uh, When you live in a place where the weather changes this much, um, you get pretty good at reading the signs of what's coming around the bend. Um, We certainly use our smartphones and weather channels Uh, in order to be able to predict what sort of clothes you should wear out your front door in the morning. Um, But back in the ancient world, they did a similar thing, only they looked up to the sky to figure out what was going on. Jesus uses two examples from predicting weather to try and show that there is a spiritual set of signs that should be obvious to everyone. The moment of the Messiah and his heavenly fire is here. Uh, The first one is the example of a rain cloud. Uh, They don't get much rain over in that neck of the woods. So when a rain cloud is on the horizon, people know to get ready. Uh, The hard ground can't absorb that much moisture all at once. So if it's a heavy downpour, it could end up being treacherous with all the flooding that happens in a flash. People get good at reading when it's about to rain as a result. Same way, when they feel the wind shift and a hot breeze on their back, they got good at knowing that a scorching wind was going to come off the hot sands of the desert, and that they better get ready because it was going to be mighty toasty in a moment. 
Other people just naturally know how to do this. To use discernment to understand the moment they're living in. Well, Jesus uses those two examples in, in order to rebuke the people of his day. Verse 56, you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? There were flashing signs up in the sky, spiritually, if they had eyes to see. And yet they wouldn't exercise even smallest amount of discernment. So they were in danger of missing the moment of the Messiah and his heavenly fire. Now, just be noted that sometimes this verse is used to, uh, as a justification for Christians to spend lots of time speculating about the future and current events. Uh, I think in context, this is very clearly about the moment Jesus was living in. It's about the moment of the Messiah, not about the moment we're living in. Now, what were the signs flashing in the sky that they were missing spiritually? Well, consider all that the people had been given by God to know the moment of the Messiah and of his heavenly fire. Uh, Jesus had a miraculous birth announced by angels and prophesied by saints. He had a powerful baptism which the spirit descended upon him in a visible way. And the very voice from heaven declared that he was the son of God. His ministry was empowered in a way never seen before. His preaching cut right to the heart, revealing the hearts of men. And opened up the very gates of heaven, revealing new aspects of God. The biggest signs of all were, of course, his crucifixion and his resurrection showing us how it is that we could be forgiven and justified and sanctified and one day glorified with God forever. They were given miracles upon miracles, but they did not have eyes of faith to see. They were missing the flashing signs in the sky because of their lack of discernment. Now realize we live 2,000 years later and we have even less excuse than they do. Uh, we have the completed Bible written down to study. Uh, we have 2,000 years of church history. We have the testimony of countless believers around us that these things about Jesus are true and that he really does come and invade our hearts with the holy fire of heaven. So how much worse is it when we fail to see the moment of the Messiah and the heavenly fire he's brought uh, last week, Pastor Eric asked you if you are living as if you are ready. The same thought is present here. Are we living as if the moment of our Messiah has come and another moment of his and the final judgment and consummation is surely coming soon? Uh, one way it comes out, are you overly depressed and dour about the way the world is going? Uh, there are plenty reasons to know that the times are growing darker and more evil. That's true. It doesn't take someone with a, a great deal of discernment to be able to notice that. And yet as Christians, we ultimately know that the darkness that is present now will not last. That there is already the fires of heaven spreading over the earth. And one day they will cover the entire earth. There will be 
a place that's free from sin and sinners and filled with the glory and righteousness of God. And it is guaranteed to happen no matter what the world events or politicians might do. So should we really be grumbling and bellyaching and even fearful about what tomorrow will bring? The moment of Messiah has come. Don't miss it. Uh, One final thing we see happening in this passage. Scores settling. Jesus tells us how it is we can be ready in verses 57 through 59. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus uses a built-out analogy from the system of justice, specifically as it relates to debtors in his day. Now, debts are not a good thing today. Uh, You can put yourself in a financially precarious position by taking on debt. If you fail to pay your debts, uh, you might have to mortgage your property. Uh, You might have your wages garnished. You might even have to declare bankruptcy. Now, as bad as that all is, as hard as it might be, and as much as it might mess up your life, That is just a shadow of what people back in that day had to deal with. You see, if you owed someone money uh, and you had no means to pay them back, you might be so desperate that you would even sell yourself as a slave to avoid something even worse, what Jesus describes. Uh, There was such thing as debtor's prison back in those days. If you didn't pay your debts, they could take you to a judge, then lock you up in a cell and throw away the key. You would not be let out until you coughed up every single penny you owed. Only there's one problem. It's pretty hard to earn money when you're stuck in jail, especially with the big burly guard whose job it is to beat you up every day. So people had great motivation to find ways to settle the score before it got to the judge. Jesus says a far better way to handle things. Before you make it to that courtroom, you you go to that person that you owe money to and you do whatever you have to to settle the score. Uh, you, You give up your Apple Watch. You give up your car. You give up whatever you have to, to to make sure your debt is paid and you don't end up in a prison you'll never escape. Now, Jesus doesn't give that advice because he's merely concerned with our finances, although the last few weeks we saw he was concerned with our finances also. No, this is primarily a spiritual principle he's teaching. See, each and every one of us has a debt with the divine God who made us. The debt is our sin. And it is a bill that none of us can afford to pay for ourselves. Uh, The Bible teaches the the bad news that we have all rebelled against God and lived for ourselves in such a way uh, that the God who made us is greatly and justly offended. That can be described as a debt that's owed. 
Uh, the amount we owe is incalculable because the God who made us is perfect and infinite in his holiness. So our offense against him, in a sense, is infinite as well. So no amount of doing good deeds or giving away our money or promising to do better can ever erase our debt and bring us to peace with God. That's the bad news. And that bad news gets even worse when you draw out what happens on the day when the score will be settled, whether you initiate or not. Uh, The Bible clearly teaches that there is coming a day when the heavenly fire that Jesus started will burn the hottest of all on the day of judgment. Uh, On that day, sinners of all types will have laid bare all that they have done to offend God and will receive the just punishment for their sins forever punishment under the wrath of God and the fires of hell. According to Jesus, there's no escape from that fate, at least not on ourselves. But thanks be to God, there is another way. Instead of the doom of inevitable judgment to come upon us forever, there is the possibility of making peace with God before our day in court arrives. Uh, That's the good news of the gospel. That the God who rightly could punish us all immediately and finally now is also a God of love and mercy who in his grace sent his son to settle the score with sinners. Uh, Jesus was the perfect man who, who lived a life free from sin. And when he died on the cross, he was able to pay the full penalty that our bill of our sins deserved. Uh, Jesus paid that bill in his blood. And thanks be to God, when he died on the cross, he paid it fully. Uh, Three days later, God raised him from the dead to prove that he had in fact done this, purchasing our redemption. And so that he could offer us forgiveness from God and peace in a relationship with him starting now. And most importantly of all, no dread on judgment day to come. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, uh, Jesus has given this warning for people like you, uh, people who have not yet settled the score with God. According to Jesus, this is the most dangerous place your soul could ever be. Uh, That's because none of us knows how long until our bill of our sins becomes due. He gives us a lifetime, but our lives can be over in just a moment. So don't delay. Make peace with God while you can. The Bible says the way you do that is by repenting of your sins, uh, relinquishing all control in your life and declaring to God that you do deserve his punishment, but then by faith, trusting Jesus to save you, trusting that he really did give his life as the payment for sinners and that he can make you white as snow on the inside that his heavenly fire might not consume you, but instead you could know it will purify you from the inside out. Uh, Friend, if you've never done that, this morning Jesus is calling you to settle with God and make peace with him. Uh, If you need to talk with someone about that, um, I'll be available after the service right up front. I know there'll be lots of things vying for your attention, maybe even things very important that you need to attend to. According to Jesus, it's not more important than this. 
Come make sure you're ready for the day that's coming. Settle the score by putting your faith in Jesus. Now to all of us who are Christians this morning, uh, the fact that the moment of our Messiah has come reminds us, in fact, that another moment is coming. That as surely as the signs that were flashing in the sky showed that a season was changing and now it was possible for sinners to be forgiven with God, now we can know that his coming will be good news for us. That we need not fear his return, but instead look forward to it with eager anticipation. That we would see it not as a day in court that we should dread, but as a homecoming that we long for. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song we've been learning the last few weeks called We're Almost Home. I want to draw your attention to a few of the lyrics. That promised land is calling. We're almost home. And not a tear shall fall then. We're almost home. Make ready now your souls for that kingdom come. No turning back. We're almost home. The moment of our Messiah is here. His fire has been kindled and it's spreading over all the earth and including in your hearts. So would you be ready for that moment? We're almost home. Would you pray with me? Oh Jesus, we thank you for giving your life for sinners so that we would never have to endure the fiery wrath of God. I thank you that we can know that we are secure and even look forward to the day of your return with expectation and hope. Uh, Jesus, would you now light a fresh flame in our damp, dark, cold hearts with the sparks of your soul for sinners. Remind us that, yes, we can live with joy and even expectation in this life. Help us now to sing this song and to look forward to seeing you face to face. We long for that moment of purity and bright glory coming. We pray that, Jesus, in your name. Amen.